What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 31 of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I are joined by Clint Warner. And Clint is the Sever Broadheads product developer and is an avid bow hunter. And in this episode, man, we had a lot of fun talking about Sever's brand new 2.0 design as well as their new uh, Robusto Broadhead. Uh, man, he, we co- he covers a lot as far as Western hunting, having the best arrow for your setup, and much, much more. We really enjoyed having Clint on. It was a pleasure to, to speak with him and, and get some insight as far as Western hunting and, and what really goes into designing broadheads. And I want to say a big thank you to all of you again for your continued su- support uh, for, for us and especially a big thank you to all of our amazing partners. Make sure you go check them out over on our partners page on our website at antlerupoutdoors.com. Well, everybody, hunting season is here. When this airs, tomorrow will be Thursday. Dimitri, Tim, and I will be heading out west. And uh, right now, man, I got to thank our partners over at Onyx uh, Hunting App because this is the one tool that we've been using the most even before we get out there just because we've been doing a ton of waypoints, sending some stuff out to our buddies out there uh, that could help us out with some, some headway. And uh, man, this tool has so many awesome features between sharing and dropping the waypoints and taking pictures and all that type of stuff that you could do on there. Uh, If if this isn't the best $30 that you spend for this upcoming season, I don't know what is. Uh, So definitely check out onyxmaps.com and download the number one hunting app. And another thing uh, that I'm really excited for for this trip is just getting a chance to put all of my first light gear to the through the ringer. Uh, I'm really excited for it just because, man, I, so far from this past whitetail season, I can't speak highly enough of all the gear that I've used from the Klamath hoodie to the Solitude kit. Uh, and right now I'm going to be rocking the, the Wick hoodie mainly. That's going to be my main piece out here. Uh, and then I'm going to be using the guide light pants and, uh, you, you name it. I got some socks. I have a bunch of other things that I'll be having, uh, along in my pack from first light. I can't speak more highly enough of the individuals there behind first light. Great people, great, uh, organization, uh, with conservation cast. So make sure you guys go check out firstlight.com. Check out the awesome gear, what they have going on and, uh, get ready for hunting season. And obviously with Clint coming on, talking about broadheads, Dimitri and I will have some severs in our quiver. That's the number one broadhead that we love. And uh, right now, I I think give this one a listen because the new design of this 2.0 is awesome. I just got back from making sure everything's dialed in and I was able to get out past 60 yards and it was hitting exactly where I wanted to. Perfect flight. I'm super, super excited uh, with the new 2.0. So new cutting diameter, especially too with the uh, swept back uh, design on them. Definitely give this one a listen and what Clint has to say about designing those. Awesome. Check them out over at severbroadheads.com. Have our strings ready to rock and roll on our bows from America's Best Bow Strings. Amazing quality. Again, great people. That's something that you continuously hear us say, and we talk about it, man. We we want to surround ourselves with amazing people in this industry, and uh, obviously that that have a great product, but more importantly, they're they're awesome people. So, Brian, thank you again for setting us up for this upcoming hunting season. It means a lot, and uh, make sure you guys go check out America's Best Bow Strings. Get yourself a new set of custom strings for this season, and then also want to throw out a big shout out to Argali. Uh, and and stokerized, tethered, and uh, you know, big sky rent as well as Easton Arrows. Just man, thank you so much for your support. Make sure you guys go check them out on their respective websites. Awesome people and great products. So when this one airs, again, we'll be in Utah. The that next week will be a little light on social media unless something happens and we got service. But uh, man, thank you so much for the support. I can't believe the 2020 hunting season is upon us. And uh, hopefully those that are heading out west, best of luck to you. Shoot them straight. Go full send. And uh, until next time, Antler Up. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And today, Dimitri and I are joined by Clint Warner with Sever Broadheads. Clint, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you. Awesome, man. Thank you for uh, taking the time to come on and uh, taking the, the opportunity to speak to us. So getting ready for our Utah trip and obviously whitetail is always on our mind. So we're dialing in. I got some arrows over here and tweaking and just making sure that uh, we'll be flying straight with some severed broadheads come next month and come fall. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool stuff. Well, Clint, before we get into everything, could you tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you're coming from, and then obviously what your role is with Sever? Yeah, no problem. Um, 
So I'm Clint Warner. I'm um, Director of Product Development and Severs General Manager. Um, I've been a bow hunter my pretty much my whole life, you know, my whole, my whole hunting life. I took up archery when I was 13 years old. Um, and I've been in the industry pretty much since uh, 1997, um, off and on, but mostly, you know, certainly full-time since 2008. So I've been around a long time, been around the industry a long time. Um, and when the opportunity to, to get into the broadhead business came about, um, I was pretty excited because I felt like it was an oppor- there was an opportunity to do something that had never been done before. And I just felt like the, the, the market dynamics were such that it, the opportunity to be able to take that consumer direct play that Sever brings and kind of be the first main brand to, to go exclusively consumer direct um, would have been a, a good thing to do. So, so that was cool. And then we just had, you know, a, a good product technology um, in the, the, the patents and the IP behind the Sever head that we were able to get. Um, and I think the combination of that and just the timing of been able to be the first book to direct is kind of is a great opportunity, you know, right. to do that. Well, when we talk about on our podcast, I mean, since we started rolling these out since January, we've been talking about several broadheads in in our commercials and just even talking about them in our hunting stores when we share uh, some of our content. What would you say, I mean, from, from our standpoint, you, you always hear as that individual, as, as a consumer, they fly like their field points, they fly like this. How, yeah. you know, we always, I always laugh with some of my friends and say, I actually shoot my severs better than I shoot with my field points when I have them in the practice mode. How do you guys right. go about, uh, like when you made a, that design with that second screw, how the, you know, the blades don't deploy Talk a little bit about your overall design coming into with the Sever Broadhead. Sure. So I'll just give you a little bit of background into the design. So the design actually originated in a broadhead that was on the market many years ago called the Omer Edge. Yep. And the Omer Edge was the, a collaboration of Randy Omer and his brother Rusty. Um, many of you guys will know Randy Omer. He was probably one of the best 3D shooters of his time. Um, shot one of the best target archers of his time, and he's probably killed more 200-inch mule deer or as many as anybody out there. I mean, he is one of the best bow hunters and target shooters that's ever lived. And he is an accuracy fanatic. And um, one thing that, you know, Randy was never content with any of the designs that were on the market. He loved mechanicals um, in general because they flew better than fixed blades. But even the ones that were out, still didn't do what he wanted and what he had hoped. So him between him and his brother, they came up with the Omer Edge design and, and put it out on the market. It was out for a couple few years and um, it, it went away. I think there were some patent issues um, back then and we were actually able to um, acquire all the patents rights to, to develop the technology. Um, and there was multiple patents and I think that was why it went away to begin with. But anyway, we were able to get all the, the patent rights for the technology and um, we worked actually with the Ulmers to recreate, you know, the, the sever head. Nice. But we took, basically we started with what we knew was already a really good, accurate platform with the Ulmer edge. So one of the things, you know, Randy and Rusty did, they were the ones that came up with that locking pivoting blade system and the practice. Blade. So that was all part of that original Ulmer edge. We just took it and, you know, made it better. You know, we've, we've re, totally re-engineered the thing from the ground up. We looked at the design and um, one of our, my main engineer that does the engineering on the head, um, he's been in the broadhead business for over 30 years, wow. you know, designing broadheads and has a lot of experience in knowing, you know, just from a design principle standpoint, you know, what are the best practices and what, what to do, what not to do. And so we just went through that whole design and completely re-engineered it, optimized it for strength. We, you know, figured out how to how to just make it a little better, and and did that without without really you know changing what made that original Omer Edge great, and that was the accuracy. And so fundamentally, you know, what makes the head as accurate as it is is there's no exposed blade in flight. So the ferrule fully contains the blades, with the exception of the deployment arms that are in the front. Um, and and really that's what it, what's the biggest contributor to its accuracy is that 
that's I, you know, obviously the the machining quality has to be good. You know, you you don't want to have you know a you know bad a bad ferrule or something like that that's going to wobble and stuff. So you know, quality control is important too. But but most important is not having any exposed blade, you know, in the ferrule. Right. Because I remember even last year, just siding everything in, just making sure I was good. I remember years ago, just even in my young twenties, when I would shoot and I would go out to 25 yards and it would be, I felt like on, on a mechanical head, I was, I was good. And then I would go back maybe another 10 and I would shoot a couple of times and I would be lucky if I would get one to go back to that same spot. I couldn't get it, you know, being consistent. And just the last two years, I would go back just to practice and mess around with. I'm shooting 60, 70 yards, and they're flying exactly where I'm aiming, and they're going exactly where they're like I'm supposed to hit. So I just been really blown away. And Dimitri, I mean, you could even talk about you know your your uh, you know experience with them as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is with some of the competitor broadheads out there, especially uh, mechanicals. You're shooting either a, a practice broadhead or you have to actually shoot the broadhead which is going to deploy uh some of the the blades but with the sever broadhead is those blades are hidden and you're shooting the actual broadhead that you're going to be hunting with which is huge because that's what you're going to be shooting and that's what you need to be accurate when you're out in the field so the fact that one you're not going to dull those blades and two you know that that's the actual broadhead you're going to be hunting with is a huge advantage especially when you're practicing before the season well absolutely and you know one thing about bow hunting if you know that that's more important you know arguably with than anything is the confidence that your equipment gives you because you could argue that there's there's a lot of gear on the market and there's a lot of good gear on the market and really at the end of the day it's sometimes hard to tell you can't it's it's sometimes hard to look at the the gear and and say this is better than this at the end of the day it's what gives you the confidence as a bow hunter that's going to make or break your hunt because if your confidence is strong it's going to help you to pull off a, and execute a good shot right. when it matters. Well, um, so confidence is huge and having that the ability to put the head in practice mode is going to give you more confidence to bow hunter than any other type of, you know, whether it's a practice point or whatever, you know, being able to use your actual stuff you're going to hunt with is huge. Yeah. 100%. And Clint, it even goes as far as as simple as your O-ring that you guys use. We get, yeah. I've gotten countless of questions and even like when we go to our 3d shoots and like I said, I'll bring the little case with me just to show off and, you know, show individuals when people ask like, what are you guys shooting? And we just have them there to talk about them. And the last, the first thing they asked me about is that O-ring. Is it durable? Is it that? And that's something that I know when I met you back at the outdoor show, that was the first thing even that we talked about was I don't know what you guys use compared to what other brands and companies are using. I know other companies use collars and all that type of stuff, but I remember back in the day, my dad swore off mechanicals just because of just kind of where he would hunt. They would deploy in his quiver and everything like that. Yeah. We've, I've never had any issues uh, with any of the broadheads so far the last two years using them, uh, whether it be yeah. go like on the ground, stalking, doing anything like that. I've never had a broadhead bust open because the o-ring broke or didn't do its job and that's the one thing i'm like guys I'm, i'll tell you right now i know it sounds as silly as it is but i'm like that o-ring is is as durable as they come as well it's it's kind of silly to say but i mean for some it that could be a, a make or break for their hunt yeah and i the thing i like about it and you know I, i'm designing the whole product so i have to consider all of the everything about it has to come into play when when you design stuff and the, o the one thing I will say about an O-ring blade retention system is it works every single time and it's super, super simple. And one, it works 100% of the time and it's super simple and it doesn't cost a lot. And so when you're designing something, you have to balance all those things. And now certain broadhead designs probably aren't the best design for an O-ring. And I think what's happened over the years is manufacturers have, have used O-rings probably when they they shouldn't have, or they didn't know any other way because the design of their head had a lot of exposed blade. And when you put an O-ring on an exposed blade and you catch that blade on something, you know, it, it's going to deploy because there's just more prone to that. So I think with our design, it just lends itself. It's a good design for an O-ring. And, and 
I wouldn't, you know, and I think what ha what's happened is certain people have been burned in the past with other broadheads that used an O-ring and blamed the O-ring and rather than just blame the design. Yeah. And um, the O-ring's just doing its job. And so it, as long as it does its job 100% of the time, all the time, that's what makes me happy. And then it's my job, you know, to develop good product that doesn't deploy on people. Right. Regardless of how I decide to retain the blades. Um, the other thing with the O-ring is we make it out of silicone. 100% silicone base. So it's not going to rot in the sun. It's not going to get cracks from just sitting there for a few months out exposed in the air. So, you know, we've really just kind of rethought that and made sure it's the right material to use for that as well. That's awesome. And that's, I mean, great example of, again, just how in-depth you guys are going right now to, to make the best broadhead on the market. And now we talk about broadheads, Clint. You have, yeah. you have the 1.5, you have the Obviously, the 2.1 is what we were using last year, and then the 1.7. But now this year, just this past week, you guys are coming out with two new broadheads. Yep, we did. Um, so we've got our new ones. We have the Robusto 2.0, and we've got the Titanium 2.0. Um, I'll just start at the, at the uh, Titanium 2.0 for a minute. So um, the Titanium 2.0, basically, we started with our current 2.1 broadhead that we launched. That was our first head it was the original sever head and we like to one of the benefits about having a consumer direct company um, with sever is that we have a personal relationship with every single customer that buys our product we know who they are and we are the ones that listen to all their comments directly so anytime somebody sends a comment via instagram or email it's coming right to us yeah so we really really hear what our customers say and we get to hear their feedback and we listen to their feedback. And so for the first two years um, with this titanium 2.1, the, the feedback that I got from people was, you know, occasionally was, man, it would sure be nice if you could have a more swept back blade angle, you know, or, or whatever, or people would just, you know, they would look at the deployment arms of the original design and they were like, man, is there any way you can make those a little shorter? They kind of stick out a little, a little bit. And, it wasn't a real, we didn't really see it as a problem necessarily because, you know, we had tons and tons of success with the product that a lot of big animals were killed with it. It, it was a good product. The 2.1 is a great product, but it really the only way that we thought we could make it better just by listening to customer feedback was looking at the blades and figuring out how could we improve that blade. So, the next year, after the 2.1 came out, we launched the 1.5 and the 1.7. And, you know, little did, I don't think the market knew this, customers didn't know this, but we were improving that blade design all along the way. And so that 1.5 had a more swept back blade angle than the 2.1. The deployment arms were a little bit shorter. They were a little bit more efficient. And the same thing, we, we did that on the 1.7 as well. You know, we're making small engineering changes that, again, not many people noticed, but we were doing that with the intention of someday we would take those changes and, and do, add those to the 2.1 platform. And so basically what the 2.0 represents is it's, it's taking that original sever 2.1 and then having a new, the new blades, uh, the, the 2.0 blade um, represents all of the engineering and everything we've learned along the way to upgrade that system to, you know, kind of the most efficient, um, deployment blade system we know how to make. And so the 2.0 has a more swept back blade angle than the original 2.1. It also has a totally redesigned deployment arm. So if you look at the original 2.1, the uh, right where, when the blades lock open, there's a little tab that, you know, that sticks out a tiny bit over the edge of the blade. And the new 2.0 has, um, it's designed such that there's more of the cutting edge of the blade exposed. So that in combination with the blade angle is going to make that head more efficient. And that new 2.0 um, broadhead is going to penetrate better because of that. The other thing that we did, and this was mostly an oversight on my part, but um, the sever 2.1 head, it's kind of borderline whether it's legal in Michigan or not. Um, if you read the regs, I think they say you can't have a broadhead that's advertised as a bigger than a two inch cut in Michigan. So because of the way our blades work is they cut a bigger than a two inch hole. And that's why we advertised it as a 2.1. But when you actually measured the broadhead, it was like right at two when it locks open. And so people were using them up there, but I just wanted to, I wanted 
to be able to have something that I knew hundred percent wasn't going to get someone in trouble right. in, in, in as many States as possible. Right. So a 2.0 broadhead also without a doubt is going to be legal in those States that say you can't go bigger than two inch. So that way it, it just puts a little bit more, makes that little bit more certain for people in those areas. Um, and nothing else about the ferrule we changed. So the, the 2.0 broadhead is 100% compatible with the 2.1 from a blade perspective. So you can buy 2.0 blades and retrofit your 2.1 broadheads with the new blades. So like just when you'd buy replacement blades, all the replacement blades we're sending now are 2.0 blades. Even if you have 2.1s, you're going to get 2.0 blades when you buy replacement blades. Um, or you can just start fresh and buy 2.0 broadheads, you know, or we still have some 2.1 broadheads in stock too. There's nothing wrong with the 2.1 um, either. So that's the titanium 2.0. We kept it in the same 100 and 125 grain weights and as the as well as the deep six and 100 grain um, for people. And, and deep six is still something that I think some people don't know what it is. That's basically a special thread pattern for certain four millimeter Easton arrows that require a special insert and a special broadhead to work with it. Um, you know, there's not very many of those out there, but you know, the people that shoot them know what they are. So that's what deep six is all about. And then, and then the Robusto. So the Robusto 2.0 is a broadhead that we designed specifically with crossbows in mind. So first of all, all sever broadheads are fine out of any crossbow. There is no speed limit to shoot a sever out of a crossbow doesn't matter if it's, you know, 350 or 475 feet per second, it's going to work just fine. And that's because of our forward pivot blade technology that because of the way the blades pivot open from the front, most of the mass of the blade is behind the pivot point. And so the faster you shoot it, the blades actually want to stay closed. They don't want to open. So that's really good. Um, it's a battle. We don't have to fight a lot of other broadhead designs are constantly fighting blades pre-deploying in flight when shot out of fast crossbows. So we don't have to worry about that. And all sever heads are good for crossbow. But we, we just found that crossbow shooters wanted broadheads that are specifically optimized for crossbow arrows. And so what we did with Robustos, we decided, well, let's make it heavier because the crossbow arrow is going to benefit more from FOC than a vertical bow arrow due to the speed that they're shooting. Okay. Typically, they're going really, really fast. Um, and having a little bit of extra FOC on the front end of that arrow is going to help um, stabilize that arrow, make it more accurate. It's also going to, that crossbow has so much energy in it, you're going to benefit a lot from adding mass to the arrow. Building that kinetic energy in a crossbow um, is going to give you a lot more momentum and you're going to be able to you know, break bones and knock down animals um, with a crossbow. You might as well harness that energy. I mean, I think pass-throughs are overrated in a lot of cases, and you're not going to get any extra credit to blow through an animal and not be able to utilize your, your kinetic energy. So the heavier you can make your crossbow arrow, the more lethal it's going to become because if you hit a, hit a bone or whatever, you want to be able to break it down. And you've got the energy to do it in that bow. So you might as well harness that energy and put it to use. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. So with That's Robusto, a, we made it 150 grains. So it's a 150 grain broadhead. Um, it's a two inch cut and it's a, it's a solid steel ferrule um, where the other uh, broadheads in the sever line are either titanium or the aluminum in the all purpose. Yeah, that looks pretty sweet. I mean, <laughs> Dimitri and I actually, right before we got on, when we were talking about that uh, new Robusto head, what'd you say, Dimitri? That thing looks pretty, pretty lethal. Pretty man. neat. Yeah. Well, that's what I even think with the, the ferrule tip. I mean, I, I forget the guy's name, but before I actually used the product last year in the field, I was watching some YouTube videos and the guy was actually shooting the sever broadhead into a cinder block at like 10 yards. Yeah. And that thing, did the tip did not get any dollar and it did not break even at the very tip of that broadhead, which was unbelievable and just shows how big of a horse this broadhead is and you talked about got to be able to get through bone and that's everyone's biggest worry especially with archery and with that tip you're definitely going to be able to accomplish that 
Yeah, and the thing to keep in mind that you know, speed is a third order function when it comes to forces that it puts on a on a broadhead. And what that means is it's not a linear relationship. So when you have that situation, you know, 50 feet per second is going to exponentially increase the force that your broadhead sees when you hit something hard. And so when you shoot it out of a crossbow going 300 feet per second versus 400 feet per second, for example, it's, it's not just increasing the force by a third, you know, by the amount your arrow speed increases, it's increasing the force, you know, by an order of magnitude in some cases, it, depending on how fast it goes. So the point is that you need to be able to build a broadhead that's going to be able to handle the forces that the, the faster crossbows are going to put at it. Um, that's why the the steel we chose for the ferrule, I think, is a great choice. And then also we we just took the base of the broadhead and scaled the size of it so that it's going to more um, closely made up to the diameter of crossbow arrows. So it'll made up better on the arrow. That being said, you can shoot a robusto out of a normal bow. So a lot of guys, you know, want 150 grain for FOC reasons. You know, when you're shooting a regular bow, so. There's absolutely no problem with shooting the Robusto out of your vertical bow. It's going to be fine. Well, that's good to know because I know right now, the if, when, if you just talk about hunting in general, the top two things are going to be about getting mobile and then what your arrow setup is. That just seems yeah. to be the the craze right now in the industry. Uh, you know, what is your th- like belief on kind of having that perfect arrow setup? Yeah. So, I mean, right now I'd say I'll start talking about FOC a little bit. It's kind of a lot of, there's a lot of the, it's all the rage right now, right? Yeah. It seems to be what everybody's talking about. Um, there's a lot of people, a lot of information available online and it's easy to get. And so people, you know, naturally want to read and learn as much as they can, which is a good thing. Um, we kind of joke in the office here that FOC really stands for freaking overcomplicated. Um, because it, I think people take it way too far. Um, one of the, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, um, Easton did a lot of studies on FOC because Olympic archery used to be shot at 90 meters, which is about hundred yards. Today it's shot at 70. And so it was shot at extreme ranges and the most accurate archers in the world, you know, are the guys shooting in the Olympics, guys and girls in the Olympics. Um, and the point is if, and, uh, that I always make, if, if, if more FOC equals better, the people that make their living shooting a bow would be doing that. And when you look at the people shooting Olympics and whatnot, you know, they're only, they are not shooting high FOC setups. They shoot enough, they shoot just enough to be accurate, but I don't know any top podium level archer that's shooting high, high FOC setups and winning. Right. And, and the, the thing I always say to people that argue that, that extreme FOC you know, is beneficial in every case, I say, prove it on the podium. And I don't think you proving it in the hunting environment is the best way to do it because, you know, you don't need extreme accuracy to kill animals. I mean, you just need to hit the vitals. So I think people take it way too far personally. Um, what I do, what I would say though, is it is good to have some of FOC. And I think a good, if you, what we found Years ago, Easton did some studies on, on FOC and found that when you get over, when you get to 12% FOC, that's when you start entering the sweet spot for broadhead stabilization. And that would, I'm talking fixed blade broadheads, finger shooting release. So, you know, pretty much the worst, think of, I mean, a finger shot release with the fixed blade broadhead, it's kind of equivalent to a, a, a mechanical release with a really bad tune. You know, the arrows come out a little, you know, they're, there's a lot of paradox in them when they come out of the bow, you know, whatever, but having at least 12% FOC is when you start entering the sweet spot for tunability on a fixed blade broadhead up to 15% FOC is that sweet spot. So between 12 and 15%, that's what we determine is kind of the sweet spot. When you get over 15%, what ends up happening is you don't really gain accuracy or tunability, but what ends up happening is you get a, a nose diving effect at longer distances. So when you shoot longer distances, what you're going to find is your arrow's going to, your tip of your arrow is going to start to drop as the arrow slows down. Okay. And that tip of the arrow is going to start dropping and it can actually make it really, really hard in a hunting situation um, 
your yardage estimation becomes much more critical. Imagine if you're shooting a really high FOC setup and you, and you, you lob the arrow down there at say 80 yards or whatever. And just hypothetically, if you have, a, let's say a 25% FOC setup versus a 10% FOC setup and the arrow starts to slow down, that extreme high FOC arrow is going, the tip is going to drop quicker than the other one. And so at distance, you're going to start finding that your yardage estimation becomes way more critical because your arrow drop is going to drop off more abruptly right. with a high altitude setup. And you're not going to necessarily stabilize the arrow better. It actually might get worse. And, and when it hits the target, you actually might find that the arrow is no longer going straight, that you, the tip of the arrow might be dropping and, try, and pulling it out of a good tune. So it, it's, it, it's at some point, more FOC equals, you know, a lot of complication and, and I think a lot of unknown frustration, but people just, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. So my, all of that said, long story short is 12 to 15% FOC and you're going to be happy. And, and that's what I recommend people do regardless of the broadhead they use. Um, that is less important, obviously, if you're shooting a sever because there's not a lot of exposed blade there, you could get away just fine with, you know, nine, 10, 11% FOC. A lot of people do that and be just fine with a sever. But um, that's kind of what I have to say about the FOC topic. Let's take a quick break and thank our partners over at Cobra Archery. I've been getting a lot of questions about what my archery setup looks like and what release I'm using. Well, I'm using the brand new Cobra Harvester release. What I love most about this release is the total adjustability with their UTS, that unified trigger system. Uh, with this, you're getting the ability to adjust the angle, the length, and the rotation of your thumb trigger and quickly and securely set it into position with just one screw. Well, I know, uh, I know yeah. even like, even for me last year, my, my arrow setup was, I was running an, an Easton access, uh, with 50, uh, grains of brass up front. And then I had the, the sever, my arrows are cut about 28 inches and I'm going for fletch lighted knock. And so it came in at about five, they were, they, depending on the cut was about five Oh nine and just five ten. So they were just, yep. let's just call it five ten. And when I shot my whitetail buck uh, during archery season, and he was about 15 yards, maybe even closer, and I heart shot him, and it sounded like a, a gun hit him. Like it just like I and he growled, and he I just it was first thing in the morning, and I didn't actually see. Um, it just happened so fast, and I just saw him take off. I didn't see him drop, but he only dropped about 40, 50 yards away. Uh, but man, the blood trail was intense. And I just remember again, that sound just sounded, I was like, man, that I, that was sounded like a, the double lung pop just because of how loud it was, but it was a hard shot and it just, it crushed him, man. Yeah. So that being, so everything I just said about FOC, I don't want anyone to take that to mean that I don't, I'm not a believer in heavy arrows right? because you know, having a big, heavy arrow with a lot of mass, in my opinion is, is a totally different discussion. And and a valid one. So I'm a huge fan of heavy arrows, especially in the white tail woods. Um, a, a heavy arrow is going to make your bow quieter. You're shooting less than 30 yards in most cases. So frankly, the arrow speed is irrelevant in, in situations like that. I went last year, for example, um, I was using a 625 grain arrow out of a 60 pound bow. I mean, I don't shoot a lot of bow weight, but 625 grain arrow out of a 60 pound bow that I was getting only 240 feet per second out of it. But in the white tail woods, I mean, being able to just have a lot of that KE to, to blow through, you know, bones and things. I, I am a huge fan of that. But if you go heavy on an arrow, it does take a lot of point weight to be able to get the FOC to that 12 to 15%. Spot. Right. So that's where brass inserts come into play and 125 grain broadheads. Now we have the 150 grain Robusto. All of those things are going to be smart moves, you know, if you're going to go to a heavy arrow setup, regardless of where you hunt. Right. I live in the West. So, you know, the big heavy arrow for me out West, it would be nice, but you know, you start shooting 40, 50, 60 yards on elk and mule deer, you know, your range estimation becomes so critical if you're not, getting some arrow speed out of it that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go that heavy personally right. out here, but, um, 
I do believe that heavy arrows are a good thing. Now, could you just elaborate maybe just a little bit? Cause even helping myself out with coming out West and going after mule deer, you know, you could yeah. have a, I mean, Dimitri and I, we've been practicing our, our shots at a, at a nice far distance here and we're going to continue to. So our goal is basically if we could feel money at 60 on an opportunity, hopefully it, that we could get in closer than that. But if it's 60 and we feel good, uh, and, and it presents a shot, we might take it. Uh, could you talk about maybe like how you said about what could be a good transitioning from us being that pure whitetail type hunter? coming out west to on a mule deer hunt like that yeah i, I mean the thing else the one thing i've because i you know i haven't i wouldn't call myself a whitetail expert but i have you know had some experience hunting them um and the thing i would say that i noticed right away between the two is whitetail are way more um i would say skittish and they're more jumpy than muleys are so you know they're definitely like even if you had you know, if you took a 40 yard shot on a whitetail, the chances of, of him jumping the string and reacting and that causing your arrow to not hit where it's supposed to is pretty high. Even if you're a perfect shot, you know, that's that deer can move a lot in 40 yards of arrow travel. Right. What I find in mule deer hunting, there's, you're usually, there's wind blowing, you're in open country. I think the deer in general are just used to seeing people. And they're used to seeing hikers. They're used to seeing recreationalists. It's a lot of public land. So you're not hunting these 40 acre farms and 200 acre farms that, you know, if, if the deer can be really disturbed, right? Mule deer are a lot more rangy. They have a bigger territory than a whitetail. So just right off the bat, I'm going to say they're not as wiry. They're not as jumpy. So you can take that 40 yard shot, 50, 60 yard shot confidently you know, if they're, if they're, if you don't see their eye, their heads down in the brush, they're feeding. Um, that's an, uh, you take that shot all day long. If, if you, if you're capable of, you know, right. maintaining the accuracy, if you're a good shot, then take it. That's the first thing I would, I would say. Um, you know, the second thing is you got to fool their ears because, you know, that's what, that's what they're built for. I mean, they're, they're built to live in, in high open country, you know, that, that, you know, they can see and they can hear, um, you know, obviously, you know, sense important too, but you know, they're, you gotta be able to fool their ears, especially if it's quiet on the mountain. And so I find that's the biggest challenge. I think people tend to stock too quickly. They get impatient and it's very common in the West. You know, we'll find a buck in the morning, we'll watch it feed. We'll bet it down. It's about nine, 10 in the morning. A lot of times it'll bed down for an hour. It'll stand up and feed again and, and reposition and bed down. And, and at that point, it'll, it's pretty well bedded for a few hours, it seems to be. And, and a lot of times we'll make our move, but it's not uncommon. We'll spend three to four hours, maybe more, maybe all day sneaking in on that one deer. So I think a lot of times people get impatient and they rush it. And that's the other thing they screw up. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one no. thing that that that's the one thing that we're we're uh, getting ready for for sure. Yeah. Now, Clint, could you talk a little bit more? We're talking about trying to penetrate and the importance of getting through bone. Now, Sever has the lock and pivot blades. Can you expand on that a little bit of how sure. that works and why that's important when you're penetrating through an animal? Yeah, totally. So, um, with our lock and pivot blade system, the blades, as I mentioned before, they're fully contained in the ferrule in flight. So when they impact, the blades pivot open and they lock open. So once they're in that locked position, um, they're not going to close again. They're, they, they're locked together as a single blade unit. But as the because it's mounted on a pivot, that locked open blade is now allowed to pivot freely so that if the, the broadhead as it's passing through something in, in, interacts with a bone or whatever, that blade can pivot out of the way to allow it to continue penetrating without um, getting knocked off course. And so other mechanicals, um, when they open and lock open, the blades are fixed. And so if you hit something, they've been known to, to deflect. And that can actually throw the arrow off course quite a bit and, and you know, cause problems. So um, having a pivoting blade is going to eliminate deflection. It's also going to allow you to take a steep quartering shot, which is going to be very common. Um, 
in the West, especially as you get out farther away, you can't, you know, like a tree stand, you can pretty much set your stand, whether you're hunting over bait or, or a trail, you know, which way they're going to come in. So you can pretty much wait for that good broadside or quartering away shot in the West. Your things aren't always that predictable. And so you need to be able to have a broadhead that you can take much steeper quartering shots with. And the sever head is ideal for that because you can take a steep quartering shot and not have to worry about the head deflecting on it. Um, so that's the, the main thing. The other thing with the locking pivoting blade is it acts like an extreme shock absorber. So just think of a basketball hoop, you know, um, before when people started really dunking the ball, originally they started shattering backboards and they, they had to come up with the fix and that was putting a shock absorber on the rim to keep that from breaking. The same is true with a broadhead. When you hit a bone or hit something really hard, you're putting tons of force through that blade system. And what basically what our locking and pivoting blade does, it allows that, that just that a little bit of movement mitigates the forces and the stresses that that broadhead sees and really, really reduces any chance that you're going to, you know, break the blade. And in all of the testing that I've seen, um, and in, in the field, I've never seen a blade break on our broadhead, you know, from hitting a bone or hitting something in the animal. Um, it's, it's really quite amazing. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've had tons of experiences and, and hit some gnarly stuff, you know, taking shots that, you know, I've hit, I've hit the, you know, really hard bone impact that I've seen break blades on other stuff, but that locking pivoting blade system is for real. I mean, it really, really works. Um, I've never had a deflection. Um, I've never had a blade break. And I, I attribute all of that to how well that, that blade lock keeps, manages all that stress. Well, I was just saying with my buck this year, I know, you know, for the first time, it was one of those shots where my broadhead or my arrow hit exactly where my pin was. And, you know, the devastation that that broadhead put on that deer, I couldn't believe one with the entry and the exit was both massive with that 2.1 uh, broadhead. And, you know, we talk about it all the time here on the podcast of that blood trail. Um, I know my dad, I mean, he's been hunting for probably 40 years and he's never seen a blood trail that, that big for, for an archery, uh, whitetails and that just goes a long way with how how great the broad help performs out in the out in the woods oh yeah and i was even i was even gonna kind of elaborate too on that one where it it does its job there but it also does its job when you do have a miss hit you know if you do have that opportunity where it is a little bit back you're getting that what that bigger cut um and I mean, Dimitri, even like with, with the doe last year where your shot was a little bit back, but man, I mean, that doe was still expired, not, not too long afterwards. And we still, you still left it go that night just to give her time, but we knew in reality, she was, she was done. Well, and I, I think that that is probably the strongest argument that a guy with a, a mechanical can make is because you're not always going to make a good shot. I mean, every hunter is going to screw up his shot eventually. If, if he hasn't, he hasn't hunted enough. And sooner or later, it will happen. And the chance that you're going to screw it up and hit back is much greater than you're going to screw it up and hit the shoulder. Um, I just think that people know to avoid the shoulder generally. And so if, if they're going to screw it up, they're going to hit back and high. I mean, that's just typically what they do. And the deer's going to drop too. And, that, and that's going to also increase the chances you're going to hit high. And, and having a bigger blade... To, to go through that area that's not quite as ideal as a vital, if you do hit back, that's a huge argument in favor of a mechanical head. And, you know, I mean, a fixed blade is better than a mechanical for penetrating bone. And so there are situations where I would not recommend even a sever head or a, a 1.5 even. You know, if there are situations, I wouldn't. And I've told people, you know, for your situation, for what you're going to hunt, I would recommend a fixed blade. And there's a lot of good ones out there. And um, for example, I mean, Iron Will, great company, great guy. I'm friends with him. Um, and I, I recommend a lot of people to take a look at what they do. There's a lot of fixed blades that are great. But I think generally speaking, for what we hunt in North America, especially deer, um, I the, the, the Sever 2.0 is like my, it's my broadhead of choice for white-tailed deer. Yeah. For sure. Like, it's just awesome. And I've, I've had a bad shot on a buck. I mean, I, two years ago, my Oklahoma deer, I got shot it 
and it didn't go more than 50 yards. It bedded down. We, we backed off. It was right there the next morning when we found it, you know, it's just, and not just, and I'm sure that we could have found it too, maybe with a different broadhead design, but again, having a lot of blade, having a lot of blade to, uh, to, uh, to do the job on less than ideal conditions, I'm going to take it any day of the week. Right. Now that's, that's perfect. And that's exactly what, you know, we've had experience with. And, and like you said, it did its job and, and we've had that now Clint could talk a little bit about, you know, you talk about your hunting situation, got, went to Oklahoma two years ago. What's, uh, yeah. tw- what's 2020 have in store for you? Well, Corona's thrown a wrench into it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I had planned, I was going to go and hunt bears up in, um, Hudson Bay, the spring. So that got all messed up. Um, that didn't happen. Hogs in Florida didn't happen. So I don't know. I mean, this fall for sure. I've got elk in Utah. Um, probably will go to Oklahoma again. I might go to Ohio, might go to Illinois, but a lot of things are still up in the air. So I don't know but for sure. It, it, you know, it's going to be an elk year for me to fill the freezer. Hopefully. That's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're, we, uh, we have a pretty good one on tap for us as far as coming out West next month. And like I said, we'll be in your neck of the woods in Utah. So, um, we're, we're excited and Dimitri and I are going to be coming out for for that first time and hopefully putting, uh, putting a, tell me a little bit about your Utah hunt. You've got, um, an outfitter or are you guys going to go DIY? We're doing a DIY. And, um, so we are just, just going at it and, backpacking our buddy tim is coming with us and our buddy tim he's actually been doing uh backpack hunting by himself for the last eight plus years and finally he uh we kind of got in contact it's an individual who i grew up with uh didn't know him but we grew up in the same town he's a year younger than me and past two years he's had success out in idaho with a mule deer two years ago and last year with an elk so we're going to be coming out and uh hopefully filling some mule deer tags and it's going to be all new adventure for us we're we're pumped we're excited and uh i i can't wait to really just go out there and honestly just experience it uh, i know we've yeah. talked we've talked about it here on the podcast with a few other guests a couple times about we don't really have uh necessarily that expectation to fill the tag we want to obviously but it's that just come out experience it love it enjoy the process embrace the suck with it as well and just you know and uh just kind of make those memories and hopefully do it all again next year and and uh, well you know and that's another i didn't mention this about hunting in the west but so much of hunting in the west and so much of the fun of hunting in the west is the experience of just doing it i mean it's the hiking into camp it's prep it's it's just it's geeking out over the gear before you go. Yeah. I mean, half of that is just as fun as the hunt itself. And then you get there and you do the hunt and it's icing on the cake. I mean, and, and it will be an expedition, right? You're going to see beautiful country. You're going to go in miles deep, see stuff you've never seen before. I mean, that it's just, it's camping on steroids. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be fantastic. I, I'm excited for you. I think you're going to love it. Now, are you guys going to hunt elk too? Uh, we originally were planning on it because the unit is over the counter. Uh, our thought process was, uh, because of our work schedules and because of COVID and everything, uh, we would have to technically quarantine when we come back in 14 days and all that stuff here in Pennsylvania, we are actually just going to, uh, go with just a mule deer tag, uh, just because we're coming out for the opener weekend, that August 15th timeframe. And we only have five to six days, maybe, uh, as far as hunting goes. So we're going to kind of just focus right up on, on mule deer. Cool. Yeah. We have a buddy that we, uh, our buddy Weston, uh, we had on our podcast not too long ago. That one will be coming out soon. He actually was from Pennsylvania, moved out there and had for the last six years that he's gone out to hunt utah has uh killed five bulls dimitri is that right yeah five out of the last six years yeah five out of the last six years has has been a very successful hunter so he kind of has helped been helping us with that area a little bit because he's not too far away so we have somewhat of boots on the ground now without getting there and uh 
Uh, so we're, you know, obviously e-scouting's been a big thing for us right now, and possibly our buddy Tim might be coming out here in the next two weeks just to, uh, with a trip with his girlfriend, just to maybe go out there as well. So hopefully we get a little bit more intel as far as boots on the ground goes. But yeah, man, we're we're pumped. We're gonna be with our backpack, camps on our back, and when we see sign, hopefully we could move in on an, on a on a nice mature buck. And I'll be filming the whole thing, so it'll be thrown up on the channel and on the on our website so hopefully we have some really cool fo footage coming our way with that as well nice yeah man so awesome man well uh you know clint where could people find more information about sever broadheads and and other from us always saying go to severbroadheads.com but if anybody could reach you or talk to you about any questions and uh hear more in, in, about you yeah you know what um severbroadheads.com is where I'd start. We'd also, we have a really good Instagram page. Uh, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Instagram's better for us. We, we tend to post more things there. Um, and the, really, there's a lot of good information there already. Um, we actually have had some pretty good, there's been some good reviews that came out of John Lusk, Lusk Archery Ventures. He has some really, a good YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, you can learn a lot about our heads. Just he's, he has really done a good job of going into depth on the, on the designs. And he's pretty unbiased. I mean, he's, you know, he was critical of my first 2.1, but he, he gave a, an awesome review on the one five and the one seven. He, he loves the 2.0, um, but that's another good resource. Um, you know, there's, we're getting big enough now where, you know, I, that first year we launched, I was really involved and, and probably was the guy responding to every comment. Um, but we're to the point now where we, we have a team of people that helps with that. And so, um, one thing I, I say, we, we try to respond to every, every comment, certainly every instant message that comes in. So if you have questions, just send it our way. We'll, we'll get back to you. Well, Ollie, it's, a small, it's a small world. I mean, if, you know, I, if, if anyone has a question, they don't feel comfortable answering, they'll, they'll run it by me. And so, you know, one way or another, we'll, we'll make sure we take care of our people. Well, and I, I can I can speak on that even more enough just because even two years ago when you guys were coming out with everything and, uh, man, it was sold out for the longest time. You guys had some in and then until they, you guys brought even more out, uh, it came around right, right a perfect time, right yeah. before hunting season. So, I mean, you guys have been fantastic. It was great communication even, uh, before last year and everything like that. I just always got really good, uh, you know, customer service from you guys and just feedback. And, and again, just, it was, a uh, it was awesome to meet in PA there in February early on and, and catch up and, you know, get this one on, uh, on, on our podcast here today. I think that was really good information. So hopefully you listeners got something out of it. I love the, the kind of in-depth talk we talk about as far as the FOC and, uh, talking about the heads in general, the 2.0 and the Robusto are out right now, people. So go give them a, a, a look. I I'm telling you right now, we've said it on our podcast for the last 26 plus episodes of how the awesome they are for how well they, they fly straight and, and durability. Uh, and as far as just the, the, they work and the cut is just massive. So won't be disappointed. So make sure you guys go check out severbroadheads.com uh, and make sure you guys check out Clint for what he's going to hopefully you got get some some hunting going on this fall and, and good some luck. So thanks everybody again for listening till next time. Antler up. Well, everybody, that wraps up the latest episode of the Antler Up podcast with Clint Warner from Sever Broadheads. Clint, thank you again so much for coming on. Man, I learned a lot listening to this one. I hope you did as well. Again, everyone, thank you so much for your continued support. I can't wait to, uh, man, when we get back, I hope I can't wait to share all the awesome stories that we can uh, hopefully tell. And uh, man, if there's anything that you want us to, to cover getting up for whitetail season, we have some great guests uh, coming up here in the future. And uh, hopefully too, we have some great new products coming out to for you as far as a hat design and, and as well as uh, some new t-shirts. So anything else that you, you want us to, to cover or talk about or have put out, man, or even for our YouTube channel, please let us know. Drop us a, a line, email, or private message us on Instagram. It truly means a lot to us. Thank you, man. Hopefully we're getting, we're getting there, everybody. So tune in. Here we go. Till next time, antler up.